Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Hi, everybody. I've got Lisa Kudrow in the house today, and she is great company. Truly one of the smartest, most insightful women in Hollywood. I always think of her as a trailblazer. She's put some of the most original and unforgettable female characters in comedy onto the screen. She's always made interesting choices, from her work in independent film to being an early adopter of new formats, like her web series. And she's built out a prolific and successful production company with fellow actor-producer and Vassar alum, Dan Bukatinsky. Lisa joins the show today to talk about her new show, Space Force, which is streaming now on Netflix, along with another fabulous show you need to check out called Feel Good. We talk about a lot of stuff in this interview, what it was like being an actress in the 90s and pressures that came with that. We talk about friends, of course, and who among the cast has the best memories. We also talk about the comeback and web therapy and how she approaches her writing, and her characters. So get comfortable. Here's the wonderful Lisa Kudrow. Lisa Kudrow in the house or in the closet and and in her house. Hi. How are you doing today? Great. Today's a good day. It's a great day. It's really nice out. You know, I love being home. Sorry. I love it. I feel like every day is just Wednesday. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-huh. Today's just Wednesday. We had our, uh, my husband and I, it was our 25th anniversary. And I had people call and say, I, you know, every day, I don't know what day it is. So I missed it. It's like, yeah, that's all right. Why would you? (laughs) That's fine. But like, just mortified. But no one knows what day it is. 25 years. That's like a lot. It's a lot. Congratulations. That's not easy to do anywhere. And especially in LA and in our crazy world that we live in out here. That's impressive. Yeah. But uh, both of our parents, you know, had been married till death do they part like and and over 60 years. His parents were at 69, almost 70 years. Wow. Uh, All right. Let's talk about a couple of things. I have so many questions for you, but you say that you're you're like you're shut in, which is too extreme a word, but you actually like being home and I say almost almost. Yeah, but not really. I couldn't not really. (laughs) But I do love it. Yeah, I'll let you talk. How about that? Okay, I'll talk for a little bit and then you could talk. One of the things that I know about you, but also that you've mentioned again and again in in interviews and stuff is that you don't travel well and that you're not like a vacation person. So I'm kind of fascinated by that because on your Wikipedia page, it says that your mom was a travel agent. So (laughs) I'm wondering... Did you have to travel all the time as a kid? Well, first of all, is that accurate? Uh, And second of all, why do you hate to travel and why aren't you good on vacation? Well, I think I am wonderful on vacation, but I don't like traveling because I like home. I need to check in to home. 
and I don't mind flying. Like, I don't mind that. I'm not afraid of that or anything. But I get a little um, stressed, like a, a very low level anxiety if I can't be home at some point during the day. It's a, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and then the whole time I'm there, I'm, I'm fine to be there. But then it's like, well, I'll be able to get home, right? For whatever reason, that's always like there in my mind. No, this is great, but I, w- I will go home, right? I'll still get to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so irrational. It is, especially if you're with your husband and your son and there's not any, like, I have that if I'm traveling and my family's at home and, you know, I'm like, ah, I I think about it constantly, little, you know, silly stuff. And I, I do have some anxiety around that. But if everybody's with me, I've got none of that. Yeah, no, I haven't no matter what. But I think I know why. I mean, when we were, uh, when I was seven, we took a family vacation to New York. And it was like the out-of-towners, which came out afterward, where mm-hmm. everything went wrong. We couldn't land. The plane circled, you know, JFK for three hours. Everyone was vomiting. And, <laughs> you know, we had to land in Boston. And my father refused to get back on the plane because that pilot was too pressured by the passengers. Unsafe. And it did. turn out it overran the runway. But anyway, when it, but everyone was okay. So we took a train. It just took like 40 hours to get to New York. And then again, when we were getting out of New York, there was bad weather. I don't know what, because I was only seven, but we were stuck in the airport. They ran out of food. People started to panic <laughs> and panic. And, and like there were times where you had to like wait to get on a bus. To, they were going to put you up at a hotel. And I was little, so my mom, I just remember her saying, they're going to crush Lisa. So <laughs> that may have been it. <laughs> maybe, maybe they say that, you know, that childhood trauma, that's pretty traumatic. I feel so bad laughing because, uh, there is, there is kind of nothing worse than travel anxiety and horror, you know, the things that happen when you're traveling, it really is unsettling, but it is a very but it's mild anxiety, mild. And mild. I think that's why, what do you do about that though? I don't know. Cause there it is. It's yeah. in there. It's, in, it's totally in there. So the friends reunion got postponed, right? Yeah. One of the things I've been wondering, have you been thinking back a lot? Have you been reminiscing a lot during this like kind of downtime about that time in your life or, or about your career? Some of, yeah, I mean, it comes up anyway, just because every time I feel really grateful or lucky that I get to do something, you know, I'm, it's because of friends, but, um, I, once we knew that we weren't going to be able to do it, I think we were supposed to shoot. No, we were supposed to shoot it in March, but, but I, I just put everything down and, um, but I had been going through pictures. So I've like grabbed a bunch of pictures that I haven't seen, right. Since like 25 years or whatever. So I was just going to bring those with me just to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, no, I have, cause I don't remember a lot. It turns out that's too bad, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like Matt LeBlanc and Jennifer Aniston remember everything and with that perfect amazing? clarity too. So I'm just kind of excited to learn about what happened. <laughs> and then you have some pictures to back it up. I have some pictures. Yeah. To say, Hey, that would be funny. It's like, well, now who are these people and what does this mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that show to me really 
takes on even more importance. It was my first big photo shoot in LA, uh, you know, at Vanity Fair. And I was just about, it was in 95. So it was just oh, wow. about to move out here. And Annie Leibovitz did that cover of ER and Friends. And it was like the biggest oh, yeah. thing in television. And Chris McMillan, who was you know, famous hairdresser. He's been doing Jen for years. He had a blow dry every girl's hair. It was like two blow dryers going at a time. It was this (laughs) kind of magical moment. Uh, And then the show ran for for 10 years, right? Obviously to enormous success and awards and accolades and all that stuff. So you were there, you were at that. I was at, and I remember you. And one of the things that I, everyone wanted to know what everybody was like, you know, of course it's like, what do they like? Does everybody get along? And one of the things I remember about it is just obviously the excitement of it and everyone getting along and and whatnot. Uh, But was like the difference of, watching the show evolve and like kind of the, watching the actresses shrink in size. Like everyone got like, as the time went on, it, it, it gained its own <laughs> momentum and everyone just like shrunk. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but like, what do you mean? Like got more fit, got more fit and thin, like baby fat became, there's none of that, you know, it's like the, everyone got oh, well, along with too. it. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was 34. Yeah. 34. No more baby fat. No more. <laughs> Except I've exchanged it for menopause fat. So yeah. <laughs> you were 34 when it started. Was that, is that what you're saying? You were 34 when it was? So... No, no. But, but I think I was like 30, 31. Uh-huh. And, and then like three years later is when I noticed what happened? Are you still kind of full? What happened? Yeah. Yeah. But there's also this awareness. That's the thing. And I would, I would always look at like the first season of a show and especially the women unfortunately you know as the show goes on they get thinner and thinner and I know for myself I'd watch it and go oh I'm I'm mountainous Mm -hmm. oh god I almost swallowed those two girls with my (laughs) hug well I have to do something about that you know my job um I don't feel the same way anymore but but I would notice that on a lot of shows where I'm like oh shoot you watched yourself and thought that you needed to be thinner. Yeah. I noticed that with myself anyway. Like I can't imagine the pressure of being an actress every day, seeing yourself at every single angle. I mean, even when I do my on-camera stuff, it's like, oh my God, I wore the wrong t-shirt. I look like I'm 40 pounds heavier. (laughs) Yeah. It's not the camera. It does. It does a a whole number on yourselves. It's the bias cut. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, what do you miss about being an actress in the nineties? Like, what do you miss about that time period? Well, the only thing I miss is the people I was, you know, being the experience of being with those people every day. But, um, I don't think there's a ton to miss about being an actress in the nineties, to be perfectly honest with you, Mm -hmm. because it felt like there was a lot of pressure to, well, you have to, you know, find your adorable and, you know, you're only as valuable as far as men are attracted. And I just always felt like, oh no, but my thing was I wanted to be like a character actress and do comedy. Oh dear, that's a tall order. That's a, that's not going to work for me. I know, but it was still sort of there, you know, Mm -hmm. you should try. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, that was a shame. That should be a t-shirt. Find your adorable. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Instead of, yeah, I know. 
but um, so I don't miss that. I don't miss um, the sort of culture of television and film where if you were talented, successful, and um, just successful, powerful, you could be mean. You know, I don't miss that. I mean, that was it, everywhere. Right. It wasn't just this business. That was every workplace, right? Mm-hmm. The boss was essentially. Yeah. So I'm glad that's done. I'm glad there is now we're, we're moving into the era, the era of mutual respect. Well, what I think is too interesting looking back on that time from an outsider's perspective is what you guys really, the power of that show and why I think it became <laughs> like a resurgence isn't even the right word, but I, I do think Netflix was hugely responsible for that, having it be on all the time. Yeah. Other generations watch that. It has this evergreen quality of it about relationships and kids and that specific period in time. It doesn't matter whether they're on their phones or the phones are giant by their head. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> it is, it, it, it's still very relatable. But what was so interesting is, there was so much excitement around it and obviously so much success around it that the stakes were high about what's going to happen to this cast and everyone went off to do other things during hiatus and whatnot. But the fact that you guys all stood in the same line was so before it's time, basically, because all we yeah. would know is like, well, she's the more successful one or uh, he's got X, Y, and Z. So we're going to, everyone's going to get paid a certain amount of money, but really the success of that was you guys just basically holding the line and like one for all, all for one, which made you Courtney and Jen, the highest paid women on television. Yeah, I know that was fantastic. I mean, look, the heroes of that were yes, the six of us, but also at whichever point the one or two people who could easily have said, yeah, why shouldn't I get paid a little more who didn't and just, and stayed with the group without letting the rest of us, you know, no one ever said, here's what I've done for you. Right. That's extraordinary to me. That is what's really, that's solid gold goodness, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was, it, yeah, it did make us sort of um, a force as, you know, the six of us, because yeah, you could pick off anyone, I guess. But you can't do the show without all six. Well, let's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do like a speed dial through your career a bit because there's a lot of things uh, I want to talk to you about, and obviously we're gonna talk about Space Force, your new show. Uh, but what's funny is I was looking through and I was like, oh my god, Lisa's been part of these like kind of one name characters, and people know exactly what it is. Phoebe, everybody knows Phoebe. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then you go Romy and Michelle. Everyone knows Romy and Michelle. I mean, how many Romy and Michelles do you get at Halloween? I mean, I, in my neighborhood, <laughs> without fail, there's like two 12-year-olds that come as Romy and Michelle. Oh, uh, really? Yes, always. Oh, I never heard of it for, um, for, for young girls. Oh, my God, all the time. And then you have <laughs> Valerie Cherish, obviously, of the comeback, and Fiona, my particular love of my life, uh, Fiona on uh, web therapy. <laughs> Again, right? Again, all these things, Lisa Kudra always ahead of her time with with these characters and these layered, complex women who are so adamant in in their beliefs. (laughs) But all right, let's talk about the comeback, because that's one of those very... cult-like people are fanatic about that still quoting it it's it's the 
one of the oddest things in television. It came out in 2005, and then the second season was in 2014. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But again... That's odd. I'm I'm not following. (laughs) (laughs) But it skewered skewered reality television right when we needed it, this kind of absurdity and this... um, thirst for relevance and having once had a little taste of it how do you ever get it back and whatnot um and you created it with michael patrick king yes right of sex in the city fame and most recently aj and the queen fame and yes who we love and two pro girls who we love who i will tell you that i texted him and told him that i was going to be interviewing you and his advice was uh super smart so you have to just pretend you're interviewing a scientist (laughs) and also what I thought was very insightful and interesting I wanted to talk to you about he's like as a writer you are the least precious person with your material that he's ever met yes (laughs) that's right what does that mean that means just because it was um, good in the moment you wrote it once it's in the actor's mouth it's not necessarily the perfect the perfect words so you got to just be flexible or just, yeah, I mean, just, uh, yeah, flexible. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, he would sometimes when we would do, uh, you know, the comeback and I'd say, yeah, you know what? We got to change this. We, I think we got it wrong. And he'd say, okay, I need to not talk to Lisa, the actress, and I need to talk to Lisa, the writer. Remember when we wrote this? I said, I do. We were wrong. I'm here to tell you we're wrong. <laughs> we were wrong. It's better this way. But guess what? We can shoot it both ways. And then we'll see. So yeah, I, I do. I really do believe that. I mean, not all the time, right? I mean, sometimes I think the actor just needs a note or some, you know, a, like an understanding, a reframing, you know, for, of it. And then, oh, okay, now it makes sense. And, mm-hmm. and it'll come out right. But um, yeah, I'm, I, that, to me, that's what writing is. <laughs> It's so great because if for whatever reason you have to change it, you can't, you could just rewrite it. You know, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what, that's part of what the gift of being able to write is. And then web therapy. Yes. Okay. Web. So again, very ahead of your time, like about doing a show that was literally a web series uh, yeah. and you had this juggernaut success and fame, obviously, uh, from friends and the movies that you did, you know, in between all that and during all that. And then you decided, I'm going to do a show on the web. (laughs) Yeah. And? (laughs) And? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because here's how. Boy, that sounded so defensive already. Because the thing is, is that, so yeah, someone was starting, uh, they were starting L Studio, which was Alexis site, you know, and agents were also saying, hey, you got to, you know, do a web series. And I didn't really see why. But so, but when L Studio, when those producers came to us and said, you can do whatever you want, whatever you want. I said, well, I did have this one idea that is so stupid. It just makes me laugh about someone, you know, doing therapy over the internet, you know, and it's only like three minutes, but you know, it just doesn't even make sense. And it makes me laugh. And they went, okay, and then we can own it. And then just all these things that you just didn't get a year later, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And we just looked down in Don Roos, you know, and, yep. and Bukatinsky. So Don, we were all working in the same office space. And, and I will say, Danny went to Vassar with, but you didn't really know him at that time, right, Dan Bukatinsky? And yes. Don Roos directed you in one of my favorite movies ever, The Opposite of Sex. So yeah. sorry, listeners, I just had to interrupt that. Continue. No, worth, worthwhile, though. Opposite yeah. of Sex. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. I thought I said it wrong. Yeah. Um, that's worth watching. Yeah, really good. And he's a phenomenal writer, Don. He's just mm-hmm. so perfectly smart and funny and everything good. And so he thought it was funny. Dan thought it was funny. And and we just looked at it as, okay, this is a fun experiment. Why not? Let's see. And we, you know, did it. I thought it'd be fun to just improvise, right? We'd come up with story outlines. And then whoever comes on, we improvise. Mm-hmm. The, all the dialogue. I say it can be done. You know, it'll be great. We have an editor. Let's do it. And it was so, and it was really fun. It was yeah. really, really fun. And you guys had an incredible roster of cameos or performances yeah. from John Hamm to Meryl Streep. To, I mean, it was in crazy. Uh, Lily Tomlin. I mean, it yes. was, who didn't you get on the show? I remember lobbying Dan to be on the show. I was like, I think Fiona needs a Vanity Fair cover. And I think I need to like, interview her like she's a zyke and I kept trying to thinking of a way to schnorr onto web therapy because I loved it so much oh really oh, yeah God, that would have been so good so fun what is it for you that you enjoyed the writing process and the creative process well I like writing with someone because if I'm alone I feel like I start to um lose it so I I need to be tethered to earth with another human being Someone to bounce off of back and Someone forth. Someone to bounce off of, but also, honestly, if I'm alone, it's like four hours and it's like I've woken up out of something and I don't like that. It's too disorienting for mm-hmm. me. Not actually, but just, it, yeah, it makes me a little um, uncomfortable. When did you form Is or Isn't? Dan and I started in 2003, wow. the year before we finished Friends, because I saw, you know, okay, we're going to be done soon, I think. And uh, I'd like to have a production entity in place for, you know, the next thing I want to do. And did you already have ideas about uh, being more of a producer and a creator at that time? I saw it more as something I'd be so that I could produce my own stuff so that I could have a, a more of a like creative role in whatever the next thing was. And then, I mean, sure enough, the next thing was the comeback that I did. So that worked out. That was great. And then obviously web therapy went on to have, uh, you know, be on Showtime and yes, the comeback came back. Yes, I know. Crazy. And then also um, in 2007, I was shooting a movie, either 2006 or 2007. I was shooting a movie and saw Who Do You Think You Are? Because I was over, uh, you know, in Ireland and it was on BBC. And I went, well, that why on earth do we not have that show? That's the best thing I've ever seen. And um, so we did that. We we did the production for the U.S. version. And that's still happening. That's still going. And you have your game yeah. show, right? 25 yeah. words or less. Right. With Mary McCormick and yeah. Michael Morris. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Meredith Vieira is hosting. So great. Not bad. I know. Yeah. Look that's at you. Who would have thought you're such a success? Uh-huh. <laughs> 
Who would have thought? No, I love, I loved also, I, I have to say, I watched your Vassar commencement speech and I loved hearing about your early struggles was great. It was just so humbling and so unifying. I, I instantly felt better about myself, even though I'm a far, uh, many, many years from 22. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's always, yeah, I sometimes, maybe I should look at it too sometimes because I think you need, especially right after you graduate college. And I think people are a little tougher on themselves sometimes. And so uh, that's when, that's why I did, you know, that just like hear all the failures that happen and, and they're good things. Just keep breathing. And you obviously had your fair share from not looking exactly how people wanted, you know, TV actresses to look, uh, yeah. having, you know, being fired from a television show, like how you don't, I mean, just being fired anywhere is, is traumatizing for anybody. Right. And yeah. then let alone having it be so personal because it's about your performance or something you weren't delivering on something you knew would be a huge hit, Frasier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> No big deal. Yeah. No big deal. And then having that go into friends, even like that, that fear of like, am I going to get fired today? Is this the day that they're going to decide I was miscast? I mean, that takes yeah. a huge amount of confidence to not succumb to that spiral of self-defeating narrative to be yeah. like, I have to believe in myself and I have to do this. Where do you think that belief in yourself comes from? Because you've always had it. You've always had it. You thought you would be an actress, even though you majored in biology. You had this voice right. in your head. Like you, you yeah, kind yeah. of have a crazy amount of confidence. Yeah. I don't know if it was confidence because to me, there's, I mean, you have to, there's a dose of um, like delusion, you know, it's not, it's not exactly confidence. Also, you know, when it's something you really want to do, there's really no choice. And if you've had confidence, then okay, you know how to uh, feign it because that's what you need. So even if you don't have it, act like you do mm-hmm. for an audition. Mm-hmm. You know, don't overtalk the room. Just mm-hmm. be there to do your job. Thank you and leave. You know, if you're not there to make friends or lunch dates, doesn't mean you're going to get the job because that's not what they need you for. Spark mm-hmm. conversation, right? So. Um, yeah. And that stuff comes off sort of confident. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I had good training in that from an acting teacher named Ian Tucker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff. Yeah. He was really clear. They don't want you for a lunch date. I love that. Also, I had heard recently in some of the stuff that you've talked about um, in and around uh, Space Force and, and Steve Carell was that you admitted that one of the the hurdles or hindrances in your career for yourself was always being the good student. Oh yeah, I do think so. And I wanted you to explain that a little bit. What exactly you mean by that? Well, the good student wants to um, get it right. So there's less swinging for the fences because you don't want to miss the mark. And, you know, uh, that's my version of being the good student, you know, that, that, these days, the good student does swing for the fences anyway. But um, yeah, and just sort of getting permission, okay, with you if I say it this way or, you know, stuff like that, which is not helpful. And that's what will always get in my way every mm-hmm. time. So yeah, so that's like the one thing. If I'm ever working on something, that that's the one thing I'm trying 
to work on is not edit, second guess, you know, everyone okay with that? How's it going? You know, did I get my A? How'd that go? I, I think it's interesting that you still have that. You still are, you, you know, you still deal with that this many years later. It hasn't faded. Yeah, I know. Isn't that something? It's so like deeply ingrained. Well, maybe it's faded some, you know. I think improvisation helped a lot. And then it just kicked back in. And I don't know. Well, improv, the the Groundlings obviously were you, which is the improv and performance company out of LA, right? Kind of world famous. It it launched a lot of people, went on to, many of them went on to SNL and, and big careers like yourself. But you really have said that that was the differentiating factor for your career. Oh yeah. Groundlings for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think improvisation's a fantastic, like, uh, you know, basic level of acting to listen and respond. And so uh, that was fantastic. And then the groundlings being in, you know, those, those writing levels where you're writing, I think sketch writing, beginning, middle and end, three minutes. So everything said has to be really valuable information, either moving the story along or letting you know who the character is. I mean, I think it's fantastic training. Hey, I should do some of that again. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it was, uh, yeah, I think that's invaluable. Well, let's talk about Steve Carell, right? Because you have okay. this show, Space Force, very funny, very timely. Again, like, uh, yeah. it's just all of it. Right. Uh, how? But not my idea. What'd you say? <laughs> This time, the timeliness is not my idea. Right, no, exactly. How did that happen? But you are attached to it by proxy. Yeah, I get to be in it. But no, I mean, I didn't even know there was an actual Space Force for real. I mean, I wasn't sure. I, you know, I didn't really give it much thought. I was too busy, you know, focusing on, because it was last minute for, for me. And mm-hmm. I had, you know, five days to do, like, my whole five episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I was just focused on that. And then after the fact, I saw the president give his state of the union where he mentioned space force. I went, Oh, so it's real. (laughs) (laughs) Such an idiot. Yeah. Now how's that advice from Michael Patrick King? How's that working out? (laughs) She's so smart. She's a scientist. She's an idiot. She's a dumbass. Had no clue. I forgot. I didn't know. Well, you know, the news cycle is very quick uh, these past several years, so it's hard to keep up on on what's new. What's new at 9 a.m. is completely old news by 9 p.m. So that's what I, I don't hang on to. That's what I say. Yeah. Uh, so obviously created by Greg Daniels and Steve Carell, yeah. kind of a dream team. So how when you said that it was last minute, how did it come to you? Was this like a last minute ad of a character or were you talking to them before about it? No, I mean, I don't get to know how my agent called and said, hey, you know, look at this. And then uh, I got a text from Steve saying, this will be fun if you want to do it. I hope you want to do it. And I'm running like, well, why wouldn't I do it? You know, it's, it's you. It's Greg Daniels. Why wouldn't I want to do it? Um, but I should read it. Now, does everybody have each other's phone numbers in Hollywood? Like a text? Like, do you, are you and Steve friends? Or did you not, do you text with him often? So it wasn't bizarre? Or is it that thing in Hollywood where you're just like, oh my God, everyone, you know, once you get to a certain ring, everyone has everyone's number? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not in that ring, but... <laughs> <laughs> But no, Steve had done web therapy. 
Right, of course. Okay. And so we had, yeah, we, we had been texting around then. And then he got in touch with me to do uh, Angie Tribeca, the first episode, and he was directing. So, yeah, I mean, we had each other's texts. And so that's how he texted me. But what's funny is I, I didn't hear, not, this will sound like a complaint, and it's not from Greg Daniels, who I met in 1986 when Conan and I were in improv classes together because they were riding partners and living together and sharing a car. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> wow. My God. Yeah. So I see Greg, you know, at least once a year at the O'Briens. Um, oh, for sure. Because Conan's like your OG. That's like your ride or die, right? From the, from, from jump, yeah. that guy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So just the idea that I've known Greg for so long and I would finally get to work with him. Yes. <laughs> you know, and that's before you even get to the things he's done which would also make you excited to work with yeah. him. So, yeah, that was all just too much. And I was sort of, it, to me, it was like, oh, wait, that's right. They did The Office together, you know, because, again, mm -hmm. not the brain trust scientist, Michael Patrick King. Did you get any say? Because there's a lot of fun mystery surrounding your character. Did you get any say in that at all? Greg spent a lot of time with me, which was so beyond nice of him. I had like hair and makeup tests. We were figuring out, you know. Which. Yeah, the hair is pretty spectacular. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's really fun. Uh, so we spent a lot of time, you know, just trying to talk it through because, right, it's like a whole season's worth of this character, okay, tomorrow and then a few days and that's it. So he was really great. And then he was on set every day. They were so fantastic to work with. I mean, sort of invited me and involved me in, yeah, maybe we could tweak that. So fine to hear pitches. It was unbelievably open and fun. It was really great. And Diana Silvers, who plays your daughter, is excellent. She's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, she was in Booksmart. And I had one day on Booksmart. And that one day, I was waiting which you normally don't wait these days for scenes because lighting's usually not a big issue. <laughs> and um, I was sitting next to her outside and we were talking for a while. That was like, aside from Beanie and Caitlin, that, that's who I spent time getting to know. We weren't in a scene together. I was like, well, that's weird how that would happen. But anyway, and then of course, that's who's going to play my daughter. That's so great. I have to say that there's a, I don't want to give too much away, but there is a great scene with, uh, there's a lot of great scenes in this, but one particularly I loved was the uh, kind of marriage talk between you and and Steve yeah. about middle age and marriage and all that stuff that goes along with it. Yeah. And what marriage really means. Let's get down to the nuts and bolts. I like right. it. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I thought that was good. Uh, you also have another show on Netflix called Feel Good with another young, up-and-coming, blisteringly funny talent, uh, yeah. Mae Martin. Oh, yeah. Isn't she something? She is something. Oh, she's heaven. That was one of those things where um, I was asked if I would do it, and then I saw that it shoots in the UK. So the, my first answer is, I mean, of course not. But, yeah, I'll read it. And then it's really good. But really good. And then I look her up on like whatever interviews I can find in some of her stand-up and went, oh no, she is way too compelling and charming 
and accessible and yes, of course, I have to be part of this. Yes. So I got on a plane and I went to Manchester, England. Wow. That's yeah. a far way from home. But it was just a week. <laughs> they did all that in a yes. week? Yes. Well, a lot of it was, was uh, like Skype calls, right? Oh, right. Oh, right, right, right. Of course. All right. I have a, before I let you go, I have a couple like existential questions. I want to big, big picture things that I want to yeah. talk to you about. Uh-oh. And one is success. And I ask a lot of people this question. So for you, especially struggling, it wasn't like an overnight sensation. You know, yes, you did. You had some success out of the bat. Like you got a call back. You, you got it. You booked a job here and there. You got enough to keep you going. But at the same time, you also got, you know, told you weren't pretty enough, told you, yeah. you weren't this enough, to, you know, you were f- fired, all those things. Yeah. So for you to finally get friends and create one of the most iconic characters in television that you could pretty much ask anybody and they know exactly who you are and your character and the success that came with that, obviously uh, career wise and money wise, was that enough? Like what was going through your mind at that point at that age? And how has that measure of success changed for you over time and through the course of your career since then? Well, yeah. I mean, the first thing was uh, it was just, woof. Okay, great. This is what it was all about. All I ever wanted to do was just be on a comedy series on television. That's all I wanted. And then not long after that, it was the movie Romeo and Michelle. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, that I know that character. Okay. And then there were other movie independent films to do. It just felt like it was just when there was an opportunity opening up. Yeah, of course I'm going to take it if I can. Because I'm still on Friends doesn't matter what happens. I'm still on friends and people like that. And that's fine. I wasn't even worried about if they only ever want me to play like an, you know, quote unquote airhead at the time or you know, whatever that is. And, um, I didn't, so what? That's okay too. But I always, I knew that I started to realize that because of friends and, um, just the, I didn't need to do anything to keep a roof over my head or, you know, put food on the table, not what anything can happen, you know, but, um, but I, it gave me the creative freedom also to do whatever I want. Nothing I do is going to be the massive, you know, success that friends was right. I mean, that's just, that was such a hugely broad appeal to everybody Um, I don't know that that's going to happen again. So it's got to be okay. Or what are you going to do? So I just focus on just the things that interested me, you know, that, that I wanted to do and just do the best I can. And I'm perfectly happy with just like peers, like what I peers loved the comeback done. You know, if, if I can get some respect from my peers then I'm thrilled. If, you know, a wider audience likes it too, that's fantastic. Did you have any guilt? Do you have a, did you have any guilt at the enormous juggernaut of success of, of friends? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's always, I mean, I remember driving around also feeling like, okay, so there's balance in the world. It's too much good. Where's the bad, you know, worried. Okay. I'm going to get in a car accident because you know, where's the bad, but, mm-hmm. um, luckily you can create bad in your own head. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> and worry. We didn't but, even uh, talk about analyze this. You had that whole. Oh, right. And then uh, the one, the movie you did with Diane Keaton, hang, hang up, hang, hanging up, hanging up with Meg Ryan. Yeah. I got to, I know who I got to work with. Good God, Nora Ephron. She directed me in a movie with John Travolta numbers. Yeah. Oh my God. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hanging up Walter Matthew, his last mm-hmm. film. I was there. It's fantastic. Yeah. You've had an insane career. Good. I know it's good. It's nothing but good. Not everything is a huge hit or works out. I mean, those were the great lessons, right? That it's okay. You just keep going. And I think it was Billy Wilder said, you're only as good as the last great thing you did. Not the last thing you did. You're always, you're always as good as the last great thing you did. It's like, oh. I like good. that. I, I like that adjustment there. It's, it's just a little bit of semantics, but it works perfectly. Yeah. Instead of only, always, and the last great thing you did. Yeah. Now, is it awkward for your son that his, his mom is perpetually popular? And it's not awkward, but he doesn't. Does he watch any of it? I mean, I'm sure his. No, no he doesn't. Oh, I love that. Yeah. He doesn't. He's never seen any movie I've done except maybe Hotel for Dogs because he was a little kid. No, no, he's never he's never really explored it. And thank God I don't want him to. He hasn't binged Friends or any of that. Uh, and he's in college now, right? He's a yeah. nice college boy. Yeah. I mean, his friends all no friends. And he's watched episodes and thought everyone was hilarious, especially the guys. Uh, I think they're hilarious too. It's just that, uh-huh. Great. Uh, but, and then a comforting little pat, like you're funny too. Like, thanks. But it's as it should be. I mean, thank God. I don't want my son to be a fan at all. And I want him to be different and better. Does that make sense? It does. And it's like, I forget too, that you were raising a child through that whole time. Like you were pregnant on the show and you had to be, you know, all through all the stuff you did, you've been raising, uh, raising your son. Yeah, I have. Yeah. You've got kids, you know, I know they require attention as it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, sometimes more, more days and you know, more on other days than not. Yes, that's Um, right. All right. Well, what what advice do you have for all those young, struggling people out there, uh, regardless of of their profession, whether it's in writers or, you know, actors, creators, anything? What, what What's your advice for people? Oh, just if you're a writer, just keep writing. Take every opportunity that comes your way to write. And same for acting, same for any artistic endeavor. You know, anything that comes your way, you do. I think one story that to me would stand out about who you are is that you went and auditioned for an unlined, uh, for two lines of a character that didn't even have a name for the show Mad About You, which was obviously Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt ran for for years. And you said, no, I'm going to do this. I'm an actress. This is an opportunity. I'm going to take it. And it's not about my ego. Right. And and I remember talking to you about this. I think it's when I interviewed for Vanity Fair ages ago for for hanging up about the lines were just lines on the page. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I hope I'm not because I've thought about this a lot and it's meaningful to me <laughs> about how you took these lines and you just thought, how am I going to stand out with these two very, it's basic waitress lines. It's just, there's no magic. There's no big speech here. Yeah. 
that was it. Well, I mean, I just went, listen, respond and make it funny, you know, and then just channel that thing. Right. And if I make a really dumb or whatever, if I, if I do a really strong character choice, then it'll be, then it'll be, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was there to me. It was all written right there. And uh, all I did was add like a, yeah, we don't have that. Yeah. Instead of, we don't have that. Like, I think she was supposed to be snarky, but instead I just made her not snarky, just not paying any attention at all. And an idiot. That was it. That was it. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. There are no small parts, right? Isn't that what they say? But there aren't. I mean, yeah. Or there are, but it doesn't mean that they're not entertaining (laughs) and worthwhile. Yeah. By the end of that week, Danny Jacobson said, how would you feel if you did five more of these? And I thought, oh my God, I was about to get a day job because I needed to, I wasn't going to be able to pay my rent. And now this will be great. Right. And that basically started everything. That's like a domino effect. And that led you to being with Steve Carell and, and, you know, Space Force, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Now, are there any of these characters that you would like to see have a second or third act? Um, Well, Valerie Cherish to me never goes away. Yeah, there's always something to do with her. 2024, she can come back again in like uh, another 10 years, kind of see where she is. Oh my God. And that's sooner than, yeah. (laughs) I would, I would love to see Valerie Cherish in quarantine. I know Michael and I were actually talking about that and had a really funny idea that I think we have to just write it up. I, I think you just have to do a short, like we take anything. We, we take a 10 minutes. Yeah, I know. Except then I have to figure out how to put the wig on. (laughs) Uh, it's been great talking to you. I know. It's I know. I'm so it's, happy. It's been so fun. I agree. Congratulations on all of it, on Space Force, on Feel Good, on everything Thanks. that happened before and all the stuff that's to come. Thanks. I know. Netflix. Netflix is awesome. Awesome. Come on. It's so great. It's just the the level of content and the the fact that you can watch it all at the same time or you can go back to it if you want. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty spectacular. No, I can. I'm saving uh, Dead to Me second season. Oh, it's great. Because that's like a treat. It's like a cookie. Well, goodbye until I see you again or talk to you again. But okay. thanks so much. This has been awesome. Bye, Lisa. Thanks. Bye, Krista. Thanks so much for joining me. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.